0: Hi, you're listening to the Business Essentials Daily Summer Series, the best episodes of 2022. Today's episode is brought to you by Mazars. A strong workplace culture is no longer just table tennis and Friday night drinks in the office. Being able to integrate well-being and mental health practices in your business won't only help attract quality talent, but keep them. From Sound Cartel, I'm Nicole Goodman and this is Business Essentials Daily. Pre-pandemic, we knew that one in four of us was going to become clinically depressed and twice as much was spent on psychological-related injury than physical. COVID's added another layer. That's according to Lyndall Hughes, managing director at Q Five Partners, an international award-winning consulting firm that specialises in organisational change. Lyndall explains what well-being in the workplace really looks like, but first she tells me what role
1: well-being plays within the culture of an organisation. Well-being is a key part. So when we think about culture, culture really can be summed up in terms of the behaviours and the actions which are enacted typically in an organization and the leaders are a key part of this so when we think about well-being it's those typical approaches around keeping people well whether it's typically given focus or not so very much inherent in culture
0: so do you think there's still value in the cultural approach of companies that attract staff with things like Table tennis tables, the slides, the bean bags, free ice creams, or is
1: that money better spent on well-being initiatives? It's an interesting thing. Um, we certainly need things. What COVID's taught us is that we need things to attract people back into the workplace, and collaboration and connection is one of those things. We know connection is an important part of well-being. A table tennis table itself is not going to do it. If I dislike everyone in the building, I'm not going to pick up a paddle (laughs) for the right reasons. Um, But if we go to the academic definition of wellbeing, it's pretty simple. There's two parts to it. One part is I feel good at work. And the other part is I have purpose in what I'm doing. And both of those together make a life well lived, essentially. So the table tennis, the ice creams, the bean bag, they give me an opportunity to have a bit of fun. They play into that feeling good at work, but it's a bit of like a sugar hit in a way. So it's thinking, how do we get deeper joy as well through work? And again, a lot of things circle back to the leaders. So certainly having initiatives that think about the role of leaders and the behaviour of leaders and bringing things of deeper joy, such as actually showing gratitude for staff has a key part. But yeah, look, I wouldn't throw the beanbags out, but they're just a minor, minor bit that could enhance experience.
0: Well, your experience in this sector is vast. So what does the research say about the correlation between well-being and productivity?
1: This is fascinating. And I've been working with um, companies on this for a long time. And quite often I get called in because they say they've got an employee engagement issue. And it's generally recognised that there's a strong relationship between higher employee engagement and higher productivity or performance at work. And there's really good business cases around that. For example, increasing an average worker's performance by 10% can equate to about 10% of the annual salary. So it has a real monetary piece to it. But what we know from... 20 30 years of research is that the correlation between those two parts of well-being which we talked about psychological well-being being both feeling good at work and having purpose each one of those alone has a stronger correlation or relationship with productivity than employee engagement and the other piece which is really interesting is each one of those pieces has an even stronger relationship into employee engagement. So they're a precursor. So I've worked with some organisations and I've said, you know what, let's not even talk employee engagement. Let's ignore it. Let's focus on psychological well-being, And they have independently had a third party measure employee engagement every year. And those scores have gone up consecutively. Wow. There you go. Well, is
0: spending on wellbeing initiatives increasing in Australian workplaces as a result
1: of this data, do you think? I think so. Look, I think COVID is what's given us the shot in the arm in thinking about wellbeing. It's become part of our language and our lingo. I think an acceptance and permission, actually, to bring it into the workplace. But I think a lot of the initial expenditure was very ad hoc. Very knee jerk, very random. It also focused on the individual. And I think this is a key issue with organizations where they think, I'll just bring in some training so people know how to deal with well being. So it's basically saying it's the person's problem. And what we know is it's a systemic issue in an organization it's lining up policies, practices, leadership, a whole lot of things together. So in terms of the data, I mean, it's fascinating, even pre-pandemic, we knew that one in four of us was going to become clinically depressed at some stage in our life in Australia, so quite scary. We also know from eye care data that between 2013 and 2017, there was twice as much spent on psychological injury in weekly payments than for physical injury. So enormous data making it an issue for everyone, every business of every scale. COVID's added another layer.
0: Mazars is an international audit, tax and advisory firm committed to helping clients confidently build and grow their businesses. To find out how Mazars can support your business, visit that's mazars.com.au that's m a z a r s.com.au so who is ultimately responsible for the well-being of staff
1: everyone and that's interesting because we're working with some frontline workers at the moment and we ran a diagnostic so i would say to businesses start with science Start with a proper diagnostic so that you can pinpoint that expenditure, pinpoint that focus where it will actually make a difference. In running that diagnostic with one set of frontline workers here in New South Wales, we got pushback because they said, why are you asking me? Because it's not my fault that my wellbeing is low, it's everyone else's fault. And there's been a real shift there to go, no, actually, wellbeing's everyone. The organisation has a responsibility, leaders at all levels have a responsibility and I have a responsibility and it's making sure that that balance is right. So not just the purview then of HR? No, absolutely not. I think when it falls into HR alone, it can get siloed and it becomes an optional extra. And where we started at the beginning was it's actually inherent in all cultures to make it work. Yeah. And for leaders
0: in management, how should they be thinking about their own well-being in the workplace?
1: Well, I remember the days of flying where we used to say <laughs> <laughs> um, put the mask on yourself first. That's with well-being. Put the mask on yourself first. You as an effective leader need to be well, need to be strong. That's the only way that you can be balanced in your leadership style. So it all starts linking together around good leadership. Need to role model. If you aren't doing things that make a difference to your well-being, no one else will. And what I typically say to leaders is the ones who watch you the most are the high potentials because they want to be you. So if you're not taking breaks, if you're not detaching from work, if you're not looking after your physical and psychological well-being, they aren't either. So start with yourself. Really think about, and if I was to give a tip, I'd say for every single leader... Think about how you oscillate between strain and recovery every day. So we know that we can only perform well for one and a half to two hours. So that's that driver survivor time frame. Doesn't have to be a big break, have a small recovery break, quick walk, drink of water, whatever, and then come back to task. Start role modeling that. You will have benefit, your team will have benefit. So to finish, Lyndall, for small to medium businesses wanting to
0: implement a more well-being focused culture, where should they start?
1: I would start with leaders stopping and reflecting. I often talk about thinking about a well-being reservoir. So I would start to think about themselves again, that mask on the leader first, you know, look after yourself, role model. If your own reservoir isn't at least 80%, then really focus on yourself. Get that strong before expecting from others. But the core when starting to think about others is a meaningful conversation. So regardless of any activity, any initiative that you want to do, unless you can have a good, meaningful conversation around wellbeing in your one-to-one catch-ups as part of team meetings, anything else is going to fall flat. So that's really key. And It puts leaders into a vulnerable spot. It feels uncomfortable, but have the courage and do it. And a simple question which we often suggest to leaders to use is to ask something like, how are you feeling? How are you feeling really? And it's adding that really at the end, so we get away from the Australian, yeah, I'm fine, it's okay. That was Lyndall Hughes, Managing Director at Q5 Partners.
0: This episode of Business Essentials Daily is produced by the team at Sound Cartel. Thanks for listening. I'm Nicole Goodman. We'll bring you more B Daily tomorrow. Follow at Daily podcast across social media and head to bedaily.com.au for more from the Business Essentials Daily podcast. Sound Cartel. This episode was brought to you by Mazars. To find out more... Visit That's mazars.com.au. That's mazar